Welcome everyone to the Ready for the Draft podcast. I am your host, Greg Schutz. This is episode 27 of the 2021 podcast series, taking a look at the draft eligible prospects and getting you ready for the NFL draft set to begin April 29th. And I'll tell you what, episode 27 is still going to be dedicated to the offensive line. So we're going to be talking about the tackles, the guards, the centers that should be coming off the board at some point in the draft. But I think we have to talk about the biggest news related to the draft to this point. The San Francisco 49ers trading up from number 12 to number 3 with the Miami Dolphins. And then the Miami Dolphins turn around and trade back into the top 10 at number 6 with the Eagles. I mean, it's fascinating stuff here to see exactly what the Dolphins have done. They essentially turned Laramie Tunsil, that that trade for Laramie Tunsil, to to Houston into four first-round picks. Unreal what... Uh, what they're doing there in Miami. Brian Flores has to be ecstatic with the, the the future trajectory of the franchise. But really, the 49ers, the biggest question mark is, is what are they targeting there at number three? We know that they're going to be a, it's going to be a quarterback. The question is really going to be, who is that quarterback? And I, I think what a lot of people are, are saying, it's rumored that John Lynch showed up at Zach Wilson's pro day, loved what he saw, and then made the deal to trade up. So does he know something that we don't in terms of uh, the Jets potentially sticking with Sam Darnold? Um, or is he looking to ultimately, you know, maybe he trades with, with with the Jets, trades up, trades up one pick, gets his guy you know, at number two if potentially Sam Darnold is coming back to the Jets. Or maybe it's just the fact that, hey, look, regardless of who, which quarterback, I know that at number three, I've got a guy in my back pocket but I really love Zach Wilson. He'll be our guy if the Jets do pass, but if they do take Zach Wilson, then we've got a guy in our back pocket. Whether it's Trey Lance or Mac Jones, I think they're confident that they know who their guy is. And so I think when you look at Mac Jones, he reminds you a lot of Matt Matt Ryan. And Kyle Shanahan had a relationship with Matt Ryan in Atlanta. Have one of the better better seasons that that we've had uh, out of the quarterback position. And uh, so then you look at Trey Lance, and Trey Lance is more of the uh, boomer bust type. He's got a really high ceiling, but he's also a guy who's only played one year under center as a starter. And I, I'm still going through PTSD uh, with, with what's happened with Mitchell Trubisky and, and Dwayne Haskins, guys who only played and started one year at that level. You, know, you think Mark Sanchez was another name, Akili Smith. These guys don't pan out. And, and that's one of the things to where you know Trey Lance would really be bucking the trend of these quarterbacks who only play one season and then move on to the league. You know, I, I should say, you know, starters, you know, first year starters and only one year starters. That's really a huge concern. You have to worry about that. And really, you can you can say the same thing about Mac Jones. Mac Jones only started one year there at, at, at Alabama. So you can say make that exact same argument. So when you look at these guys, I think you know you really have two guys that fit that exact same same discussion there. So then you look at what Trey Lance offers, and he has the huge arm, he has the athleticism, he's more of the new age quarterback. So can Shanahan, I think he would flourish, either quarterback would flourish in the system. It's just traditionally with that that Shanahan offense would be a guy like Mac Jones. But would you really trade all the way up to number three to get Mac Jones? I don't know that you would do that. Um, you know, I, I think you could probably look at, at trading up 
possibly to the Eagles there at six. I mean, why trade all the way up to number three when you could have potentially had that six overall pick there with the Eagles? So I, I think it may be Lance. You know, get up ahead of some of these other teams and target Trey Lance. Although I know that the Patriots potentially could be interested in Mac Jones or Trey Lance and, uh, you know, Carolina the same way. Um, you know, I just, I feel like Justin Fields is not their guy because look, Trey Lynch, uh, you know, Justin Fields hasn't even had his pro day yet. You know, I would have thought that John Lynch would have waited to see Justin Fields and then pull the trigger unless he's still confident that, hey, Justin Fields is going to be our guy. I just don't see that being the case. So a lot of different things that can happen there. But really what we're talking about is, is if you have Trevor Lawrence one, Zach Wilson two, and either Trey Lance or Mac Jones at three, That'd be the first time three quarterbacks were taken in the first three picks since 1999. That's the Tim Couch, Donovan McNabb, Akili Smith draft. Wouldn't it be interesting if that third overall pick was another quarterback who only started the one year, whether it's Mac Jones or Trey Lance? Interesting to see how all of that shakes out. So then what happens with, with Miami is I think the, you know, the Dolphins – Wanted to get out of that number three pick. I think that's a little rich for a receiver. So I think what the Dolphins ultimately did was they said, hey, we'll trade back into the, the top 10. The Eagles ultimately, uh, you know, I think they're rolling with, with Jalen Hurts because they realize that they have just way too many needs on that team right now. You know, they need to get some weapons. They need to shore up that defense, especially at the linebacker position. Let's get some more picks because they got a 2022 first round pick. So I think that's really what the Eagles are looking at. Let's see what we have with Jalen Hurts. You know, I think they did you know, attend a bunch of the pro days of all the top quarterbacks. And ultimately they said, all right, let's go ahead and settle with Jalen Hurts. Let's see what we have. If we don't, we're not happy with Jalen Hurts. We'll have two first round picks. We can trade up uh, if we have, you know, or depending on, on your draft position, stay where you're at and get a quarterback in that draft. The, you know, the only downside is the 2022 quarterback class not really on the on the level and the par of this 2020 uh, 2021 class. So 2022, you know, maybe that's not the time to get a quarterback. Again, you know, we're still early in the process, so we'll have to kind of see how all of that shakes out. But you know, it'll be really interesting to see how you know how that does play out. But I think with Miami sitting there at number six, you can get one of the top offensive weapons there for Tua. And so really, how I see this shaking out now is. You've got Trevor Lawrence coming off the board at one. We know that. I think the Jets right now, still Zach Wilson's probably their guy. You, know, you saw at his pro day today, um, it, it was absolutely ridiculous what Zach Wilson was doing. This guy was rolling to his left, receiver going to the right, and he's able to effortlessly just flick the ball uh, and throw the ball 60-plus yards down the field to hit this receiver, drop it in over, you know, over his shoulder uh, and, and complete it. He's rolling right. Receivers going left, and he's making those throws as well. Just unreal the type of movement skills that this guy has, and just the explosion with the arm. You know that arm strength, the flick of the wrist. You know, I, and I talk about how he looks like a shortstop with, with the way that he plays. He doesn't sit there. It's not like he's squaring and then you know very deliberate. Everything's explosive. It's all in one movement, and he's you know he's letting that ball go. And there's a lot of velocity behind the behind the football. So to me, I, I think the Jets and look Robert Sala. You know, if, if you watched it on NFL Network, you saw that Robert Sala and Joe Douglas were there with Zach Wilson. I think that's ultimately going to be their guy. I think now that they've seen Zach Wilson in person, they've seen what he can do. They've already seen the tape. They've gotten to, to see him in person and talk to him. 
I think Zach Wilson's going to be their guy. We'll ultimately see Sam Darnold. Uh, they'll move on from him. From the Bears, you know, look, I've missed out on uh, on Russell Wilson. You know, they've tried and tried and tried again to, to nail him, and they haven't been able to. So I, I think really at the end of the day, change of pace, target Sam Darnold, see if you can bring him in, um, and Jets ultimately get their guy with Zach Wilson at number two. Number three, San Francisco, what am I going to do with them there? Um, you know, it's really interesting. Is it Mac Jones? Is it Trey Lance? I just don't see the 49ers trading up all the way up to number three to get Mac Jones. Are they really that confident that Mac Jones is the guy? Um, did they fall in love with, with Trey Lance previously? Um, I, I think that Trey Lance is probably going to end up being the guy there at three, which then takes us to Atlanta. What's Atlanta going to do? I've got Matt Ryan. He's still playing at a high level. Matt Ryan is not the issue there in Atlanta. He can play for another three, four years. This is a guy who's been durable. He's only missed three games since 2008. This is a guy who is just four years removed from being the NFL MVP. What he, you know, what really failed those guys was, you know, that that defense not getting much of a pass rush, uh, and then that running game. The running game was non-existent. So looking at Atlanta, there at four. Could they go a quarterback? Sure. They can take Justin Fields there at number four, potentially even Mac Jones. Or what about this? What about Kyle Pitts at four? Now hear me out. This might sound a little crazy, but you've got Julio Jones. You, you know, you're returning all four of your starting receivers, or I mean your top four receivers and your tight end in Hayden Hurst. But when you think about it, you've got Julio Jones and you've got Calvin Ridley. And then obviously there's Russell Gage and Olamide Zacchaeus and again, Hurst at tight end. But you add Pitts to that scenario. And you think about that, Pitts there with, with Ridley and, and Julio Jones, who are you doubling? You know, when you play Kansas City, you know, really the, the key to, to beating them was you had to kind of keep an, you know keep two guys on Travis Kelsey, two guys on Tyreek Hill, and force the other guys to beat you. And when you look at this team, they've just got so many weapons. Matt Ryan could have a field day with that offense. So it's one of those things to where I don't know that Arthur Smith needs to pull the trigger right now on a quarterback. Granted, you're looking ahead to 2022 and you're saying that quarterback class, probably not quite as strong as it is this year. But do I need to pull the trigger on a quarterback? I don't know that they do. Interesting to see what, what Atlanta's going to do. Cincinnati sitting there at five. You got Panay Sewell sitting there. And look, you know, when you look at the offensive line, Joe Burrow got hurt, torn ACL. Offensive line play there has been terrible. They brought in Riley Reef as kind of a stopgap there. You know, he can play both left and right tackle. He'll play right tackle more than likely. You know, you've got uh, you know Jonah Williams who's coming back from injury. He'll play left tackle, but Jonah Williams has been you know has a history now of, of injuries there at the next level. So you really have to worry about his durability. Um, and then you look at the interior of the line, which has been pretty porous as well. I'm looking at Panay Sewell. He reminds me a lot of Brandon Sheriff out of Washington. You know, and look, you know, Brandon, Brandon Sheriff was a tackle at Iowa, taking number five overall, and ultimately moved inside to guard and was a you know now he's a Pro Bowl guard, and you're pretty much perennial Pro Bowl guard. And so I look at Panay Sewell, and here's the thing that I'm thinking: you've got. Essentially, you'll have all three of those tackles. You have Wilson, I'm sorry, Williams, you'll have Reef, and you'll also have uh, Panay Sewell. Kick Panay Sewell inside the guard, 
And then you look, when, when Riley Reef is, is gone, you know, he signed a one-year deal and he could be gone after the 2021 season, you could either keep Sewell where he's at and, and see if he's he's the next Brandon Sheriff, or you kick him outside to, to tackle. And that's really you have some some a little bit of play there. I don't want to see the, the Bengals turn into the Bungles again and say we're gonna go ahead and target a weapon for Joe Burrow, because you still have to address that offensive line. Um, and so the, the chance to get Panay Sewell, I think, kind of outweighs, you know, yes, you could take, you know, uh, Jamar Chase or Kyle Pitts. And when you think about that with, with, with Joe Burrow, you pair him with Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase has been his guy. You know, they had a tremendous season together, uh, 20 touchdown passes. Uh, you know, it was absolutely you know, amazing to watch. But uh, you also have... You know, Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins already on the roster. So, you know, if anything, they could target Kyle Pitts, get a tight end. You know, you give Joe Burrow a ton of weapons, but look, if Joe Burrow can't stay upright, if he can't get get the, the protection that he needs, then there is no completion down the field. And look, Cincinnati, as tempting as it might be to go after a receiver there at five, you've got a second round pick and you can go after a slew of receivers in the second round who are going to be playmakers. This wide receiver class is deep enough for you to be able to do that. So then looking at six, I think Miami, this is where Jamar Chase is going to go. Um, I, I think at the end of the day, you look at Miami, you look at what they, what their needs are. Um, they draft, you know, they brought in Will Fuller. Fuller, you know, has battled some injuries. He's got the suspension, you know, that, that, he, that he's had to deal with as well. Um, you've got Devontae Parker. You've got Preston Williams. I think you get an alpha in there in Jamar Chase, and that really kind of settles things down. You look at Detroit there at seven, and uh, Devontae Smith. I, I think that makes a lot of sense. You know, you've lost Marcus Jones. I'm sorry, Marvin Jones. You've lost, uh, you know, Kenny Galladay. You need a number one wideout. And, and when you think of, of Devontae Smith, you think of, of Marvin Harrison, and you know, you give that to. to to uh, Jared Goff, and man, it's going to be a relationship much like what he had with with Robert Woods. I think they'll have instant chemistry, and that'll be a good thing there in Detroit. Number number eight, Carolina, and here's the thing that's going to be interesting with Carolina, you know, because I, I think they do need a quarterback. They've got, but here's the thing: Teddy Bridgewater's under contract for the next two years, right? So Carolina has to ultimately decide what they're going to do. Are they going to go after a quarterback sitting there at number eight? Um, are they going to trade up? You know, I, I think the Panthers, um, you know, ultimately you, you trade for Sam Darnold, you know, and I don't think you need to give up the number eight overall pick to get him. You know, I, I don't think that happens. I don't think you trade away uh, a first round or maybe a first in, in 2022, but I don't think you have to give up your number eight overall pick for Sam Darnold. That just doesn't make any sense. So sitting there at, at eight, if you do take a quarterback, you know, I think the, the relationship that Matt Rule has with uh, Mac Jones from the Senior Bowl, Matt Rule, very, uh, very loyal guy, goes after guys that he's coached and, and trusts and knows, guys from Temple, guys from Baylor. Hey, I coached him up there on the Senior Bowl. I, I think that's a, a match that makes a lot of sense. But... If you go after Sam Darnold, you're sitting there at number eight and Kyle Pitts is on the board. Look, Carolina needs a tight end. Ian Thomas, 
has not panned out. So you you get a tight end in in Kyle Pitts, a, a, a generational talent in uh, in Kyle Pitts, and man, you're you've got something going there. I mean, Kyle Pitts ran a sub four five forty at six six and two hundred and forty pounds. You know, it's absolutely ridiculous what what he's been able to do. And uh, you know, you look at that receiving core. You got DJ Moore. You've got Robbie Anderson. Uh, they just picked up David Moore from Seattle, and. Um, yeah, you bring in Kyle Pitts, and, and suddenly you have to go along with Christian McCaffrey in the backfield as well. You can't forget him, and uh, you know you've got some weapons now. It really makes things interesting there in Carolina. So, target Sam Darnold, get your future quarterback, and uh, pick up Kyle Pitts. You can still go after the quarterback at eight, but I, I think that's probably the best best case scenario uh, for Carolina. Um, Denver sitting there at number nine, could they go quarterback? Absolutely, they could. They if they're they're not sold on Drew Locke. Do you give him one more year? Maybe you do to make him prove himself. You know, you could potentially try to look for a trade as well. Uh, but sitting there at nine, I think Micah Parsons, you know, the, the thing with him, he's a polarizing guy, but he ran a sub 4 4 40, um, you know, 4 3 9. You know that the hype train is going to be real in terms of his uh, stock in the top 10. Could Detroit poten- or Denver potentially trade down with the team that's trying to get up to get Justin Fields? Absolutely. That's entirely possible. I'm looking at the Patriots sitting there at 15. If they want to get up and get a quarterback, whoever's left over, Justin Fields more than likely, they could trade up and get him. Detroit- and then Denver down to 15. That probably makes more sense draft value-wise for Micah Parsons. He does have some off-field concerns. Uh, but a guy who just flies around to the football, tremendous athlete, and you put him there, pair him with Josie Jewell, and you've got Vaughn Miller on one side and Bradley Chubb on the other, and it can get really dangerous. Now look, is Micah Parsons' best fit in a 43 defense as the Will linebacker? Absolutely. You line him up at the Will, and then on third downs, you let him just you know pin his ears back and come after the quarterback. That's probably his best fit. But if I'm if I'm looking at things from a Denver point of view, I need to get your know, playmakers on the defensive side of the football, and that makes a ton of sense to me. Cowboys at ten. Look, Trevon Diggs, really a nice pickup there in round two in last year's draft. They need a running mate for him, especially now that Shadobia Wuzier is in Cincinnati. They go Patrick Sertan. The second makes a lot of sense. Giants sitting there at eleven. Now that they have Kenny Galladay, I don't think that they're going to go receiver. I think they have to target that offensive line. You know, when you look at the interior of that offensive line, especially, yes, you know, at the tackle position, you've got Andrew Thomas and you've got, uh, you know, don't forget Nate Solder. Nate Solder's still on the roster. He opted out uh, from a, a, you know, due to COVID this last season. Then you have Matt Parrott as well there on the right side. So you have three tackles. Inside a guard, you, you, you sign Zach Fulton who's likely going to man one of the guard positions. But then you're looking at Will Hernandez and Shane Lemieux at the other guard position, which don't really strike fear into anybody right now. And uh, you've got Nick Gates at center. And uh, Nick Gates is a converted tackle. Um, I'm looking at Rashawn Slater, the the kid out of of Northwestern, the five-position versatility and allow him to play really just about anywhere on that line because he has the chops to be able to do it. Uh, and then the Eagles. I get to the Eagles there at 12. If Kyle Pitts is still on the board, I think the Eagles have to take him. I, I think the Eagles you know, could potentially look to try to trade up and get him. Um, but 
I, I think the, the Eagles at, at 12, they've, they've gotten some additional draft capital by trading back. Now they can see what you know how things shake out in front of them, and I think that's who they can target. Um, if not, if he's off the board, then it looks like Jalen Waddle is going to be on the board. You can pair Waddle with Jalen Rager, two speedsters on the outside. I think that'd be a lot of fun to watch. So that's kind of how I see the the top twelve picks shaping up now that we've had these trades. And you know, 49ers, Miami, Philly, they'll all be tied together now with this draft um, because of, of all of this movement. And look, I, I don't blame Miami for trying to get back into the top 10, getting to that number six overall pick. They're going to potentially, if, if it all shakes out this way, if they all, if the first four picks are quarterbacks and then Panay Sewell at five, they'll have their choice of Jamar Chase, Devontae Smith, and Kyle Pitts. I mean, it's a win-win situation there all the way around. So um, it's really going to be interesting how the draft plays out and I think we still have more moves to come before it's all said and done so now let's go ahead and transition and we're gonna go ahead and talk about the offensive line so when we talk about the offensive line obviously first and foremost we have to talk about the offensive tackle position when we look at offensive tackles we've had 92 drafted in the last five years and uh, last year we had actually had 21 tackles taken and when you think about that you know last year we had uh, six offensive tackles taken in round one um, you know a- Andrew Thomas Jedrick Wills, Mackay Becton, Tristan Wirfs, the best of the bunch, was, dra- you know, was drafted number 13 overall. Then Austin Jackson and Isaiah Wilson, we know the uh, the struggles that he's had. Um, so that's kind of the, you know, the, the, the top end of that draft class. 21 taken, that was the highest that we've had in this last five years. Um, you know, then you look at, you know, the, the, the rest of the draft, you know, 19 in 2019, uh, went to as, as few as 15 and 2017, but you're looking at around 18, 19 offensive tackles taken year in and year out. I think we're going to be on the higher end. We may even eclipse the 21 offensive tackles when it's all said and done. Um, so it's really going to be interesting how this how this shapes up. I could see as many as five or six offensive tackles going off the board in round number one. You know, it's really a strong draft class. And really at the top of it is going to be Panay Sewell, 6'6", 331, the junior out of Oregon. And look, yes, he did opt out in 2020, but this is a dude who didn't allow a single sack in 936 pass blocking snaps in 2019 and just won over, you know, just under 1,400 career snaps in his two seasons with the Ducks, according to Pro Football Focus. Uh, The physicality and the body type, as I said earlier, reminds me of Brandon Sheriff. Um, you know, what's funny is, you know, the draft Twitter community wants to come out. They find reps of Sewell tripping over guys or losing his balance and falling. And, and they use that for their narrative that Sewell has poor footwork and therefore is not an elite prospect. But you miss all the reps where Sewell's firing out of his stance quickly. He sets up in a hurry with proper knee bend um, on the balls of his feet. He's sliding quickly and effortlessly. And that, that good footwork allowing him to change directions, picking up secondary moves. If anything, you can actually argue that Sewell was dominant in spite of some of his inconsistent footwork, which I think furthers his draft stock because that footwork can actually be cleaned up at the next level. He's very physical at the point of attack, shows tremendous power in his hands to jolt the man, get him off balance, and then that grip strength to sustain his blocks and drive his man down the field. Could be a road grader there. And then as a pass rusher, or I'm sorry, as a pass protector, he can redirect those those speed rushers coming off the edge. I mean, look, this kid won the 2019 Outland Trophy Award as a 19-year-old with just 20 games under his belt. I think he's just scratching the surface of what Panay Sewell can be. 
He's my number one tackle. Let's not overthink things. And if I'm Cincinnati, I think you have to protect Joe Burrow. That's got to be your guy, right? Rashawn Slater, number two. Um, look, yes, he's he's on the shorter side. He's 6'4", though, not 6'3". Um, 314 pounds. And uh, the tackle there at North, Northwestern also sat out uh, the 2020 season. But look, he made a name for himself in 2019, uh, really getting the better of Chase, uh, Chase Young. Very consistent as, a, as a, an offensive lineman. Uh, very polished with with his uh, with his play, and you know another guy who's real quick out of his stance. You see that knee bend that allows him to play with leverage. He gets you know that low pad level gets underneath his man, and you know once he's there, you know he's not getting moved very easily. Uh, moves very well uh, on the outside. Understands angles, which I think also allows him to easily square up his man and just ride him away from the pocket. Um, very effective with those hands. Gets it into that chest plate. Uh, on the inside, nice powerful punch that jolts at the point of attack. Then he sustains that block and rides him away from the pocket. He's not the most powerful run blocker, not going to generate a ton of movement right now. Uh, but get him out in space, and he's going to you know, he's gonna find a guy on the move, and he's going to bury him. Um, so I, I think this is a, a move, you know, Dave Gettleman, Joe Judge, the Giants. Man, don't overthink it. This guy is probably the best player sitting there on the board at 11 pull the trigger make it happen um you know i think that makes makes the most sense for me so then you get to number 13 and, and the chargers and if if slater's there i think the chargers are going to take him otherwise you go after my number three offensive tackle prospect and that's christian derisaw out of virginia tech 65 314 three-year starter i remember as a true freshman watching him just getting beat left and right by, by you know Brian Burns, and I'm just thinking, man, this poor kid as a true as a true freshman. But here we are as a uh, as a junior. You know, he started every game but one for the Hokies, and that was during his freshman season. Um, you know, during that time, you know, tremendous agility as a pass protector, very balanced, natural knee bender, very smooth with his kick slide. Um, you know, and as a junior, allowed just six pressures, didn't give up a sack. Um, you know, and when you watch him, needs to add a little bit of power and strength to generate more movement at the point of attack. But the athleticism is absolutely on display. Uh, you know, with his kick slide, uh, very easy mover, able to mirror. Um, you know, does a really good job getting his hips around, sealing off his man uh, in the running game. Short, choppy steps to mirror guys in in pass protection as well. I'm a huge fan of Christian Derisaw. Um, I think you know you get him out on the move as well. He's another guy that's going to does a really good job locating guys and burying burying guys. And when we talk about Panay Sewell and the lack of footwork, I think that's what you really see with Christian Derisaw. I think that's his calling card. His footwork is tremendous, and that's one of the things that you'll see. The lateral quickness allows him to be very consistent in pass protection. So that takes me to my number four offensive tackle. And number four on my list is actually Tevin Jenkins out of Oklahoma State. You know, I know that there, you know, a lot of people have other guys rated ahead of Tevin Jenkins, but here's why. This guy is probably the most uh, physical and intimidating offensive lineman in this draft. Um, and so when you watch Tevin Jenkins play, you know, he's played both offensive tackle positions at Oklahoma State, started off. Uh, the 2020 season playing left tackle and due to an injury moves over to the right side doesn't complain does his job gets over there starts protecting uh the right side for for spencer sanders and look 
this guy, he, he finishes in the run game. That's the thing, man. He's driving his man back into the ground uh, with, with authority. And, you know, I, I think in pass protection, um, it might have been actually been a run play, but if you happen to catch the game against Texas, you know what I'm talking about. You know, there was a play where he took on Joseph Osai, who's going to be a late one, early two, uh, you know, edge rusher on the outside. Oh, it was actually a zone play. So it was a run. Uh, it was a run. So on an outside zone play, um, I'm reading my notes as, as I go, uh, trying to go off the top of my head as well. So I apologize. But, you know, you look at it, it's an outside zone play. He's working him down the line, then driving him five yards down the field before planting him along the sideline at the whistle. I mean, it was absolutely ridiculous, the, the physicality there. I mean, he took a guy like Osai, who, you know, ultimately got the better of him at the end of the game in overtime, came off the edge, had some really nice knee bend, and, and used his hands to, to swipe at, at Jenkins, chase down Spencer Sanders, ultimately ended the game, and Texas ends up beating Oklahoma State in overtime. Uh, but look, as a pass protector, Tevin Jenkins, surprisingly mobile, um, quickly gets those hands inside, and then that strength at the point of attack, power in his hands, you know, excellent grip, uh, grip strength as well. And look, yes, this change of direction does need some work, but he's only given up two sacks in his career, according to Pro Football Focus, and both of those came in 2018. I'm looking at the Raiders. Raiders need a right tackle. They got Colton Miller on the left side. You know, they, they've gotten rid of Trent Brown. Really need to whole, overhaul their whole offensive line, um, but. Tevin Jenkins, you pencil him in as a week one starter there uh, for Vegas on the right side. 6'5", 320, Tevin Jenkins. Then we look at you know, a, a few other guys here potentially going in the first round. And this is really, you know, who's going to come off the board next? What's going to happen? I think there are a lot of teams that could take a, a tackle. I'm going to give you my number five. And that's Liam Eichenberg out of Notre Dame. He's 6'6", 305. And look, he's not flashy. He's not exciting. If anything, you know, you can call him, you know, kind of a snooze fest, which isn't a bad thing if, if you're an offensive tackle. That just means you're doing your job. I think there are very few guys that were as consistent as Liam Eichenberg in this draft. 6'6", 305. Uh, a guy who uh, hasn't allowed a sack in the last two seasons there for the Fighting Irish. Easy mover, natural knee bender, understands angles both in pass protection and in the ground game. He's known for his hands. Tremendous power, very accurate striker with his hands to blow his man off the ball. Also able to anchor, tough to move off his spot. Um, if there's anything yeah, that's his biggest knock, it's going to be generating movement in the running game. But he's got, you know, he's got all the tools. He's not going to be exciting. Um, is he going to be the fastest at the, you know, in, at his pro day in the 40? Probably not. Is he going to be the strongest? Probably not. I think he actually does need to add some lower body strength, but he's going to be a week one starter. I'm looking at Kansas City. You know, they still have to figure out the tackle position. They could still bring back Eric Fisher, could still bring back Mitchell uh, Schwartz. But I think Liam Eichenberg could be penciled in there at one of those tackle positions if they can't get a deal done for one of those tackles. And I think at this point, I just need to pause real quick the offensive line, there. what's really weird with this draft class, I'm sorry, with the free agent class, is you've got Eric Fisher out there, former one, number one overall pick in 2013. You've got Mitchell Schwartz out there. You have Alejandro Villanueva as well. So those are three tackles who are still on the market. There are a lot of teams that could potentially take a tackle. So it's really hard to kind of project right now, knowing that those guys are still out there. And then you have Trey Turner, the guard that the Chargers let go. He's sitting out there as well. So 
four of the top free agents that are still pending are offensive linemen. I think that also speaks, though, to the depth of this draft class because there's a great chance that you can wait and get a, get an offensive lineman in the draft. There are a lot of guys here, you know, offensive tackles who have uh, first-round ability who are going to come off the board in round two, potentially even fall to round three. I think the next guy that's going to come off the board is going to be Jalen Mayfield out of Michigan. He's 6'5", 320 pounds, the junior. I'm looking at Miami. They need a right tackle. I, you know, to allow Robert Hunt to kick inside to guard. And I'm, I'm looking at Jalen Mayfield. And this is a guy who I think he established himself as one of the most powerful offensive tackles in this year's class, um, generating a ton of movement in the running game. Um, he had to improve that footwork and hand usage, make sure that the, the hands match the feet uh, so that he's not leaning or lunging as much uh, in pass protection. And he did that in 2020. So I, I think he's kind of the reverse of some of these other guys that we've talked about not being able to generate movement in the running game. Mayfield was was a different cat. He was the guy that was always really strong um, with his run blocking, and he's getting better as a pass blocker. Thinking about it now, is that a guy that I would want to have on the right side there for the Dolphins, given that that's going to be Tua's blind side? You know, that's something that I think the Dolphins would have to think about. Um, could, could potentially target a guy like Dylan Radins. You know, I think Carolina could also be looking at Dylan Radins. They could be looking at Samuel Cosme, uh, Liam Eikenberg, if he falls around two, sitting there at number 39 overall. We'll see what happens. But Dylan Radins, look, 6'6", 298 out of North Dakota State, uh, you know, with the Bisons, two-year starter there. Um, and look, physicality in the run game, 63 knockdowns in 2019, according to Pro Football Focus, really a quick get-off, able to effectively convert that speed to power, generates a ton of movement, equally... Uh, adept in pass pro doesn't hasn't given up a single sack holding down Trey Lance's blind side um, and then at the senior bowl I think he proved that you know to anyone skeptical you know of taking an FCS offensive tackle in the first two rounds of the draft you know, he's really you know quieted any of that with with the play there he was one of the more consistent I think he was actually named offensive lineman of uh, of the senior bowl Samuel Cosme of Texas I look at him and I feel a lot of, you know, Anthony Costanzo in him. You know, he's, he's 6'6". Um, you know, they had him measured at 6'7", 308, but when he actually showed up at the pro day, um, you know, measured in at 6'6", 314. Now look, he ran a 4'8", 440. Now when you compare that, you know, at 6'6", Rashawn Slater ran a 4'8", 8. Um, you know, so uh, just a little, little bit quicker there. You know, we, we've got some other guys that are out there that, uh, you know, in terms of their pro days, uh, you know, Darisaw, we're gonna, he, he uh, didn't run the 40 um, at his pro day, but then you've got Panay Sewell on, on April 2nd, Tevin Jenkins on April 1st, Eichenberg on March 31st. So we're gonna get to see them do, you know, see what they can do at their pro days. But look, Samuel Cosby knocked it out of the park. 30 inch vertical leap, 36 uh, reps in the bench press, his arm length at 33 inches, a little bit on the shorter side. Uh, but definitely a tremendous athlete. Um, Pro Football Focus noted that Cosme led the, the Longhorns in blocks that led to a touchdown or a first down with 25 to go along with 28 total knockdown blocks. I thought that was a really cool stat. But when you watch him play, though, he still feels like a bit of a finesse tackle. I think he still needs to hit the, the weight room to work on that lower body strength to really anchor and to be able to drive block more effectively. Um, I just, I think Indy, uh, keep an eye on Indy. I think they may trade up and get Samuel Cosby if, if the, um, you know, the value feels right for them. Um, so I think there's a, definitely a good chance that we could see that happen. Um, 
know, what's crazy is, you know, the I haven't even mentioned the Outland Trophy Award winner yet um, in, in Alex Leatherwood. Um, you know, and we've gotten through... That would be the ninth offensive tackle taken in the draft would be Alex Leatherwood at that point. But I'm looking at the Steelers, you know, and, and the Steelers, look, they need help at, at tackle and guard, um, depending on what happens with Alejandro being the way if they don't bring him back. Uh, Matt Filer, the left guard, he's now with the Chargers. So I think the Steelers in round two, Alex Leatherwood, if he's there, he's got the versatility to play both positions, 6'5", 310 pounds. And there's a reason why he won the Outland Trophy. He was the most dominant, most dominant offensive lineman on the best offensive line in the country, keeping Mac Jones upright and paving the way for Najee Harris. Punishing run blocker, physical at the point of attack, he plows forward, opening giant holes, and uh, you know the footwork and pass protection has improved as the season went along. Stepped up and, and played well when the lights were brightest. Um, I, I think. You know, the one-on-ones at the Senior Bowl really questioned his lateral quickness and consistency with his hands. You know, the hands didn't always get up. Quincy Roche beat him like a drum around the edge uh, with the speed rush. He really didn't even get hands on him at all. Um, so I think that's what pushes Leatherwood to day two. Um, but look, you know, what's crazy is, is when you watched him at his at his pro day, ran a 4.9640, uh, 35-inch vertical leap, and then the arms, 34 and 3 8 inch arms. So he's got the length there. Um, you know, I think Leatherwood is, is a guy that people are sleeping on because I think, you know, really it's, you know, what have you done for me lately? And everybody just remembers the senior bowl. But he's a guy that I, I think could be surprising people when it's all said and done. So keeping with, with day two picks, I'm looking at a guy like Walk, uh, Walker Little. They're out of Stanford, 6'7", 320, uh, the junior. Look, he was hyped up to, to come into you know 2019 as one of the top offensive tackles. ACL tear took him out of the season. Then he opted out this past season. Uh, but when he's 100%, this is a guy who uh, can be devastating in the run game, has decent lateral agility to hold up and pass protection as well. And look, he came off that knee injury, showed up at his pro day, and, and he worked out. You know, not everybody's going to show up and work out. But Walker Little ran that 52640, um, you know, 30-inch vertical leap. Um, you know, 24 reps in the bench press, has 33 and, and three quarters inch arms. Um, so pro day, you know, not the most athletic tackle um, that, that we'll ever see, but a guy that, look, he's still working to come back off of that ACL. Um, Jackson Carmen out of Clemson, he, he's probably going to be showing up uh, mid-April for his pro day. Um, did not compete in, in Clemson's pro day that, that they had here in March. Uh, but 6'6", 320. Uh, and this is a guy, look, he's got really short arms, so like 32, uh, just a little over 32 inches. But he's so wide that his wingspan is freaking ridiculous. So even though his, his arms are short, he's just, he is so wide. And so could he play guard? Could he play tackle? I think that's really a, a big question mark there. Uh, but I think Carmen, um, you want to be able to see what he can do with his, you know, uh, at his pro day. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see where he falls. Could he be a, a day three tackle, or I mean, a, I'm sorry, a round three tackle? It's entirely possible. Uh, and then there's James Hudson. He's 6'5", 310 pounds out of Cincinnati. And look, this is a guy who's still, uh, still relatively new to the position, converted defensive tackle, still incredibly raw, but he moves so well. Uh, laterally offers a really good punch uh, at the point of attack with those hands generates a ton of movement in the running game and man if you get him climbing into space he's he's a lot of fun to watch he's like a locomotive and you know you just can't stop him he's one to watch on day two 
a lot of people have him coming off the board in round two, and uh, I think there's a good chance that that could happen. As I redo my mock draft, now that we have everything going on here at the top of round one, um, I have a feeling that there may be some pieces moving. And James Hudson's a guy that I'm definitely going to be keeping an eye on. I want to see what he looks like at his pro day uh, as well. I think that's going to be a, a huge thing. Um, it's keeping an eye out for, for Cincinnati and, and uh, James Hudson when, uh, when he does take the field on his pro day. I want to see what he can do, you know, really see what that athleticism is all about. Um, Spencer Brown out of Northern Iowa, another interesting dude. He's 6'8", 321. The guy who showed up looks skinny, uh, a skinny kid. You know, he was tall, skinny, and he leaves there, you know, 321 pounds. Um, a, a guy, look, um, at his pro day, I thought he had one of the better pro days. I mean, you know, he's... Uh, Measured in actually at 6'8", 311, 34 and three, three quarters inch arms, ran a 48840, 29 reps in the bench press. When you think about those long arms and he's repping out, uh, you know, 29 reps, he also put up, you know, 500 pounds in the bench press with those long arms as well, which is incredibly impressive. Uh, 31 and a half inch vertical leap. Uh, to me, Spencer Brown is this year's Makai Becton. He's a huge dude. He's 6'8". Um, and he's just throwing guys around like a rag doll. I mean, it's, it's actually absolutely ridiculous. And then you've got a guy who's tremendously athletic for his size as well, moves very well like a basketball player. Um, so when you think about his, his size, his length, his speed, he's a guy to watch. Another sneaky good offensive lineman in this draft class. And then, oh, by the way, there's Brady Christensen out of BYU. 6'6", 300, uh, little over 300 pounds. I think it was 302 pounds at his pro day. All he did was show up and run a 48940, 34-inch vertical leap. Um, you know, very athletic. Um, you know, much more athletic than I think people were expecting him to be. And he, like Eichenberg, one of the more consistent offensive tackles in pass protection this last season. This guy was a first-team All-American because of it. Uh, gets out of his stance so quickly, low pad level, uh, good lateral quickness with his kick slide. Not the most physical offensive lineman, and he's a guy again. The you know the lower body needs to catch up to that upper body. You know he put up 30 reps in the bench press, but look, he's still not generating a ton of movement. It's going to be about that that play strength really in that lower body. Um, could he kick over to the right side? I think he absolutely could do that. Um, I think there are quite a few teams that'll be you know looking at Brady Christensen. I think he has some of that versatility. He'll be a guy to keep an eye on. Um, you know, I think he's going to be a lot of fun to watch at the next level and, and really watch his progression. Um, Deontay, Tom, uh, I'm sorry, Deontay Smith. He's 6'4", 305. Um, you know, day two, day three, probably day three, because he's still a work in progress, but you see the traits that translate to the next level. You see the easy movement skills, good pop at the point of attack in his hands, plays with good leverage under the man's pad level. Once he locks on, he's got really good lower body strength, and he just clears his man out of the play. I don't think he's ready yet, but you, know, you give a team that he can sit behind, maybe Dallas, maybe that's that's his home. He can be an eventual replacement for either Lyle Collins or Tyron Smith when it's all said and done. He was 6'4", 287. He's bulked up to over 300 pounds now. Still moves pretty well. I'll be curious to see what he runs uh, when he gets to his pro day, but he's another athlete to me that, that's going to be a lot of fun when it's all said and done. Um, I, I think he'll be one of those sleepers coming out of uh, Eastern Carolina, you know, the Pirates. Um, so we've already talked about 15 offensive tackles and guys that 
have that potential to be either day two or really early day three guys. Uh, moving very quickly through the rest of the group, um, I like Robert Hainsey. I think he's a guy who can play right tackle, kick inside to guard, uh, a versatile guy, 6'4", 291, powerful at the point of attack. Um, Cole Van Lannan is another interesting cat. You know, he's 6'5", 312, really short arms. Um, but a guy who I think could play at the next level, kick him, kick him inside to guard. Um, Dan Moore and Carson Green out of Texas A&M. Dan Moore, he's 6'5", 315. Green, 6'6", 320. We'll see them on, on Texas A&M's Pro Day on, on the 30th. But you know, Dan Moore, left tackle, decent movement skills. I think he could end up being a swing tackle for a team. Carson Green, underrated, in my opinion, at the right tackle position. I thought he played really well. Um, you know, Kenyon Green was the, was the the MVP of that offensive line, but I, I'd almost put Carson Green as as a as a number two uh, on that list. Uh, Josh Ball out of Marshall, he's 6'7", 305 uh, inch arms. He's got some of the longest arms in this group. Still put up 28 reps in the bench press. Another guy who's a pretty pretty easy mover there on the outside. Good length. He'll be a mid to late day three guy. Alaric Jackson out of Iowa. Look, 6'5", 321. Before the injury, you know, this was a guy who was really tracking very well as a um, as an early draft pick. Comes back from the from the uh, from the injury, um, you know, because Tristan Wirfs kicked over to the right side. Uh, I'm sorry, to the left side. Then he comes back, moves to the right side, and Alaric Jackson just didn't look like the same player. You know, he ran a 5'3", 840, um, you know, which you know, it was surprising to me. Only a 25-inch vertical leap, not a whole lot of ex- lower body explosiveness there. So you really worry about that knee um, and can he handle the speed? Because that's really one of the things that happened there at Iowa. He just couldn't match up well with speed rushers. And at 6'5", 321, he also may have to kick inside to guard. Uh, Grant Herman's out of Purdue. Look, 6'8", 300. Um, I-, I think this is a guy who, you know, look, um, he- he's-, he's a big dude. Um, you know, you think about guys coming out of out of Purdue and, and, and Vanderbilt and some of these schools that you don't necessarily see an offensive lineman coming from, but they're they're take a very workmanlike approach. You know, very blue collar. I think Grant Herman's definitely fits that bill, and he'll be a guy. He'll find his way onto an NFL roster when it's all said and done. Um, so those are the offensive tackles that I'm really keeping an eye out for. Um, I think there are some guys that, like I said, could kick inside the guard. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see how this offensive tackle position shapes up, especially in the first couple of rounds of the draft. So now we're moving on to the guard position. We're going to move inside interior linemen from here on out. And the guard position, you know, here, what's interesting if we look at it from a draft history standpoint, in the last five drafts, we've had 71 guards taken, including 18 a season ago. We didn't have, and really what's crazy is we had 18 taken, not one in the first round. The last time we had a, an offensive line or a guard taken in round one was Chris Lindstrom going 14 overall to the Falcons in 2019. Um, you know, before that, in 2018, we actually had two guards taken in, in Quentin Nelson, number six. You know, Isaiah Wynn, they called him a guard, but really he's a tackle uh, there at 23 overall. So it's one of those things to where, you know, could a guard come off the board in round one, round two? I think we have two guys that could come off the board in round two, which would be really uh, true guards. You know, if we're not counting Isaiah Isaiah Wynn as a guard, and I, think, I don't think we should, then I think you're looking at probably 2016 when you had Joshua Garrett and Jermaine Effetti. I know Effetti is kind of that guard-tackle hybrid, but really he's a guard. 
Um, and so I think that's really the, the, the last time we had two guards come off the board in round one. Um, looking at the class, you know, uh, or the last five years, nine, that's the, the, the low number there in 2018. 18 was the high. You're probably looking at right around 14, 15, 16 guards coming off the board. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how all of that plays out. And I mentioned that I do have a, a guard that's coming off the board in round number one. And I actually like him going to the, the Minnesota Vikings, and that's Elijah Vera Tucker. Look, AV, AVT is, a, is an interesting dude because he, you know, he's 6'4", 315 pounds. Um, showed up at his pro day there at SC, ran a 5'140", 36 reps in the bench press, incredibly strong, 32-inch vertical leap, but his arm length, 32 and 1 8 inch, basically says he's a guard. You know, at the end of the day, I think the lack of arms, arm length, you know, you, you can talk to a lot of guys. Joe Thomas will tell you otherwise, um, you know, that arm length, you know, from, you know, is it going to matter or not? Um, but I think at the end of the day, Elijah Barrett Tucker is going to be a guard. And I think that's where he plays his best football. Because look, in, in 2019, I, and I keep saying this just about every podcast where I talk about him. In 2019, he was named USC's Offensive Lineman of the Year. And he was playing left guard next to Austin Jackson, who was the 18th overall pick of the Miami Dolphins in the 2020 draft. And so it's only natural that he would be taken higher than 18, right? I mean, it just makes perfect sense to me. ABT then moves outside to left tackle uh, to replace the aforementioned Austin Jackson and uh, showed decent movement skills there on the outside. Um, I thought he, you know, he, he did a decent job keeping his man square, although Kayvon Thibodeau really exposed the, the lack of foot speed and that length as well. Really couldn't deal with that speed coming off the edge. Um, but a guy who I think as a, as a run defender, I'm sorry, as a run blocker, a guy that could generate a ton of movement, uh, I like the lateral agility as well. Um, and Minnesota, look, you know, Minnesota needs to address that guard position. Um, you know, they've got Dakota Dozier, who's a, a free agent. And look, Minnesota, we know they've addressed the offensive line like crazy uh, with, with two second-round picks of Brian O'Neill and Ezra Cleveland um, and a first-rounder in Garrett Bradbury in 2019. But look, the offensive line still is not up to where it should be. So I think Vera Tucker makes a lot of sense. Get your pass rusher in round number two. So who else at that guard position are we going to be considering there in round number one? I think there's really only one name, and that's Wyatt Davis out of Ohio State. 6'4", 315. Um, haven't seen his pro day just yet. It's coming up. Um, but when you look at Davis, he does have that round one potential. Um, I think he ends up sliding into round two. Um, the Patriots, look, if they don't replace Joe Tooney, Wyatt Davis could definitely be an option. One of the more consistent interior linemen, wide base, anchors well, um, difficult to be moved off his spot in pass protection, tremendous power, generating a lot of movement in the ground game as well, can be beaten by speed rushers uh, from the interior. So that's the one thing that you, you worry about a little bit is, is that foot speed. Really want to be able to see what he can do there at his pro day. Um, but those are the guys. Look, you know, Trey, uh, Trey Smith there out of Texas A&M, I'm sorry, out of Tennessee, could he come off the board in round two? I think it's a possibility, but um, you know, right now I have him in, in round number three, but he, he's a guy, he's one of those tweeners to me. He can come off the board um, in one of either of those days on, on day two, and I'm not really sure where I want to put him just yet, but you watch him at his pro day, ran a 5-1-140, measuring in a 6-5 and 321 pounds, put up 32 reps in the bench press, 
31 inch vertical leap. So, you know, the athleticism, you know, the, the seven, four, three, uh, three cone drill of the guards, the top guards in the draft that have actually, uh, that we'll be talking about that's second fastest only to Quinn Miners. We'll be talking about here in just one second. But when you look at, at Trey Smith, I think it's well documented what this guy, you know, what he's capable of. You know, you look at that freshman All-America offensive tackle, um, and then the issues with the blood clot scare that kept him out of 2018. He returns the season later, has manned that guard position ever since. Incredible power, probably the most powerful of the guards in this draft. Fires off the ball so quickly. Um, once he gets his hands on you, it's over. You know, does he struggle a little bit with his lateral quickness? Sure. But when you've got his overall power, um, watch out. And look, he's down 14 pounds from his play weight. You know, he played at 335. He's down to 321. Uh, and so I think that bodes well for his draft stock overall. And now I mentioned Quim Miners. And man, this dude is a guy who's definitely played his way into uh, second round consideration now. If you haven't heard the, the name Quinn Miners, that's okay. He, he's a, a, a Division three prospect. Now you're going to say, Greg, what in the world is a Division three prospect? You know, what are we talking about him as a potential second-round pick? Well, look, he played at Wisconsin Whitewater. He's 6'3", 320 pounds. And, uh, at, you know, if you watch his game film, it's a lot of fun. I mean, just, you know, grab a, a bag of popcorn and you'll absolutely enjoy watching him because... He's so quick out of his stance. And then, especially as that pulling guard, you know, he does an awesome job finding defenders on the move. And when he arrives, he makes them pay, often in spectacular fashion. It's awesome to watch. He's a lot of fun there. Then he shows up at the Senior Bowl. And I think few players really made the type of impact that he did. Um, not only proved that he belonged there at the FBS, you know, against the FBS talent, but set an example as one of the more physical linemen dominating the point of attack in the one-on-ones you know going up against guys like like you know marvin wilson he was stoning him and, you know with excellent leverage and, and good feet and, and lateral quickness to be able to mirror his man uh, I, I thought it was phenomenal what he was able to do and look he showed off some some versatility as well lining up at both guard and center um, you know, so I, I think the Steelers, if they don't end up taking Creed Humphrey in round one, could target him. I think Green Bay, with with Corey Lindsley um, moving on to the Chargers, they could target him. And then Seattle, they don't have a, a first round pick. They have a, a pick in round number two, number fifty six overall. Russell Wilson, not happy, taking too many hits. Man, you get Quinn Miners, he's gonna bring the physicality to the group. But look, what did he do at his pro day? Ran a 4.8640 with a 1.71 10-yard split and a 32-inch vertical leap. Are you kidding me? At 6'3 and 320 pounds, and then I mentioned the three-cone cone drill. He ran in 7.33 seconds, which was the fastest among the guards that we'll be talking about today. So, you know, I think he definitely made himself some money there, and definitely a guy to uh, to watch. Um, watch him rise up draft boards. Uh, when it's all said and done. So Quinn Miners, remember that name. And look, when you're thinking about Division three prospects going off in round two, Ali Marpet was a Division three guy. He was drafted number 64 overall by Tampa Bay. He's one of their most consistent offensive linemen, if not the most consistent offensive lineman there in, in Tampa. Ben Cleveland out of, out of Georgia. This is a guy, he shows up and uh, you know at his pro day and you know shirtless, and at 6'6 and 343 pounds, runs a sub 5 flat 40. 
Um, everyone was expecting him to put up, you know, 40, 50 reps in the bench press. He only put up 30, which is a bit of a disappointment. But look, when, when you've got a guy who's moving as fast as he did, you know, that's pretty darn uh, impressive. And I think that physical presence that you see, the power in his hands, the lower body strength that allows him to, you know, in, in the hands, he latches onto the onto defenders and generates that movement in the ground game, just clearing guys out. He can anchor very well in pass protection as well. Um, he's a day, you know, he could definitely be a day two guy. Um, you know, he's got 33 inch arms. Um, you know, some of the longer limb defensive linemen on the interior could have, have some issues there. I think at the end of the day, Ben Cleveland, he should be a day two prospect, especially after showing off that athleticism for a guy, his size. Um, you know, he's a guy, you know, if you watch him drop a little bit more weight, you know, do you really need him to at 343? Maybe not, but you know, if he drops a little bit of weight, maybe he actually gains a little bit of athleticism. You know, he'll be a guy definitely to watch out for. Notre Dame's Aaron Banks, 6'5", 330 pounds. Um, I've got him going to the Browns in, in round number four because he reminds me a lot of Wyatt Teller, who's entering the final year of his contract in 2021. Um, both incredibly strong. They're powerful at the point of attack. And then they enjoy mauling and punishing defenders. Um, you know, I think they both generate a ton of movement. Um, across the line or down the field. There are more, more guys that are going to move um, in a straight line, more so than laterally. Um, but, man, are they physical? Are they powerful? And I'll be looking forward to seeing what he can do at his pro day. How many reps in that, in that bench press can that guy put up? Deontay Brown is kind of the forgotten man in this draft class at the guard position. 6'4", 350. Why? Um, you know, especially when you look at it, and you know the bio on Alabama's football website says that he missed only two assignments on 843 snaps and committed just four penalties, gave up just a half a sack, one pressure, and five quarterback hurries. Very efficient when he got his hands on you. The issue was the foot speed. You watch him at the Senior Bowl trying to get out in space, and, and man, you know it just—you just had to shake your head because it just—it it didn't look good. It didn't really look good for him. And uh, so that's really the big issue right there for Deontay Brown is you know, just how uh, how's that going to look? What's he going to look like um, at the next level? I think his draft stock will take a little bit of a hit. He'll still be a fourth rounder. Um, I don't think he gets past the fourth round. Some people have him on day two. I think he'll fall just a little bit, but definitely a guy who I think um, you know has starter potential at the next level. Another guy we're going to mention in the SEC who has starter potential is Sidarius Hutcherson. He's 6'3", 321. Uh, ran a 4.9540 at his pro day. Put up 36 reps in the bench press. So he's got some athleticism to him. Also has nice power as well. Um, you know, so he's definitely a versatile guy. And uh, look, he, he lined up in left guard, right guard, right tackle in his 39 starts there for the Gamecocks. Um, I look at him and you know, a team like the Jags. Possibly round four, round five. Um, AJ Cam, we've been talking about him potentially moving on himself, a former uh, South Carolina Gamecock. Um, he's got one one year left in his contract with the Jags, and you, know, you bring in Hutcherson and ultimately let him take over for for Cam when he likely leaves uh, next season. So I think that's something that you know, we'll have to keep an eye out for because I think it, it's it definitely could happen. Um, Let's see, who else do we have? Jack Anderson out of Texas Tech. He's 6'5", 320 pounds. Another guy who moves pretty well at the guard position. Um, has a nasty disposition as well. Uh, you know, a junior. Would have liked to have seen him come back. Uh, we'll see him on April 7th on his pro day there in Lubbock. 
Um, how about Tommy Doyle, the big 6'8", 326-pound uh, tackle there for Miami of Ohio. He's a guy to me that I think is probably going to kick inside to guard. Um, but look, you know, this is a guy, you know, he, he's he's big, he's physical, he played hockey. Um, you know, he's a guy that I think is going to fit in well there at the guard position. Kendrick Green out of Illinois, 6'4", 315, ran a 4'8", 540. Uh, to me, he's one of the more physical guys there. Showed off some nice athleticism as well. I think he's a guy that's going to be a, you know worthy of a pick there on day three. Uh, Larry Borum out of uh, Missouri, 6'5", 322, 51540. You know, showed off some decent athleticism, as did Shannon Herring out of BYU. He and Tristan Hogue were talking about the two of them. Shannon Herring is 6'6", 307. Doesn't have the longest arms, and that's really probably the biggest concern. Only 32 and a quarter inch arms. Ran a 49440 though. Um, you know, and you look at Tristan, Tristan Hogue, 6'4, 306, 33 rep, uh, I'm sorry, 29 reps in the bench press, 33 inch arms, 51340. Um, you know, so he, those two guys from BYU, they're big, they're physical, and I thought they paired well with the athleticism that Christian uh, that Christensen had on the outside. Um, that's really what helped keep uh, Zach Wilson upright. Um, a couple of other names just to be on the lookout for as well. David Moore out of Grambling. He's only 6'1", 330 pounds, um, but he has incredibly long arms, 34 and an eighth inch arms. I think that's going to bode well for him at the next level. A lot of those longer limb defensive linemen that will try to take advantage of the shorter limb guys won't be able to do that with David Moore. Plus, he plays with a, with a ton of leverage uh, being at 6'1". Um, so the shorter guys, a lot of times they worry about those shorter arms. That's not going to be the case with David Moore. Keep an eye out for him. I think he's a guy that can move up draft boards. Ran a 5'1", 740 at 330 pounds. That's nice. That's not too bad at all. Um, Coyote Awasika out of Buffalo, 6'3", 307. Um, left tackle, moving inside to guard. Same with Cyrus Tuatelli out of, out of Fresno State. 6'5", 311. Um, powerful guy, 36 reps in the bench press, but short arms. He's 6'5", but he only has 32 and a half inch arms. So that lack of overall length is going to have to kick him inside to guard. Um, Royce Newman's another guy at Ole Miss, 6'5", 3'10", played right tackle there. I think he's going to have to kick inside to guard. And one last name, Robert Jones out of Middle Tennessee, 6'4", 319. Uh, powerful guy, not the you know the, the best athlete, but definitely a dude. When you talk about a guy who has those big bu- you know, the, the bubble butt, you know that's something if you listen to, uh, it's Mike Mayock. He always talks about having that, that bubble. And if you have that, you're going to generate a lot of movement. And I think that's one of the things that you're going to see with with Robert Jones. Um, you know, so don't look at the five three six forty and say, "Wow, this guy's not a not a great athlete." I think he'll end up being a mover. He'll probably fall to round six, round seven range. Which now takes us to the center position, the pivot. And you know, the, the center position is one that's really been difficult to kind of gauge when they're going to come off the board. Um, 41 centers taken in the last five years. Uh, we had as many as 11 in 2018. Uh, in 2016, 17, and 19, just seven centers taken. In last year's draft, we had nine come off the board. And what's crazy is, is you look at it, you know, in 2018, 2018 was just a weird draft because we had six centers taken in the first three rounds of the draft. The highest... Um, Outside of that year was three in 2016 and 2020. Uh, and with 2020, you know, if you'll recall, Cesar Ruiz taken by the Saints with the 24th overall pick, kind of a surprise. And then we saw Matt Hennessy and Lloyd Cushenberry come off the board in round three. 
Tyler Biotis going to the Cowboys in round four as well. Um, 2019 was Garrett Bradbury coming off the board there. Eric McCoy, everyone thought was going to be a first rounder. He fell to round two. Um, and then 2018, that was the one that we couldn't really predict. Frank Ragnow coming off the board, number 20 overall. Billy Price, number 21. Probably a you know, little high with both of those guys looking back on things. Um, that was the last time we had multiple centers come off the board um, in round number one. So I think it's going to be interesting to see with this draft class exactly what happens at that center position because you've got two or three guys who are going to come off the board in the first two days of the draft. Uh, the question is going to be exactly where they go. And I'm looking at Creed Humphrey. I think he's the number one center. Um, he's 6'4", 312. Um, very impressive with his, his pro day, you know, first and foremost. Uh, ran a 7.54 three-cone drill, 509.40, 29 reps in the bench press, vertical leap of 33 inches as well. You know, so when you think about your, your centers, you're not thinking necessarily the most athletic, um, but I, I thought Creed Humphrey did really well for himself. Um, and look, here's the thing with Creed. He's a, he's a former wrestler, so he understands leverage very well. Uh, but here's the thing. Here's what I love so much about Creed Humphrey. Made a name for himself as a redshirt freshman pivot, starting um, on the Sooners' Joe Moore, Joe Moore award-winning offensive line in 2018. Um, and that was with Orlando Brown Jr., Cody Ford, Ben Powers, Drew Samia, all playing at the next level. Um, had to turn around and replace all of those guys in, in 2019, led a new group of starters to yet another Big 12 championship and a berth into the college football playoff. So you know, this is a guy who knows what he's doing at that center position. Um, you know, he does a really good job because of that, that wrestling ability, drops those hips, gets low at that point of attack, and then he's hard to move off his point. He anchors so well. And look, as a pass protector, you can say what you want about his athleticism or what have you or his movement in space, but look, he didn't give up a single sack in you know, 1,200 pass plays over the last two seasons. And when you think about the quarterbacks that he was blocking for, Jalen Hurts and, uh, uh, and Spencer Rattler, and look, even before that, he's also blocking for Kyler Murray, and Creed Humphrey showed up time and time again as one of the best offensive linemen in the Big 12 and now in the country. I think if, if I'm the Steelers or Green Bay and I'm sitting there in round one and I still need a center, that's a guy that I go target. I know the Steelers picked up B.J. Finney. Finney can probably kick inside to guard, probably more of a, a, a role player, probably a guy that's going to come off the bench. I think you got to pull the trigger on Creed Humphrey if you're if you're the Steelers. Um, after that, I think you have to look at, at the, the guy out of Alabama, uh, Landon Dickerson. Mr. Personality. This is a guy, look, he, he won the, the Remington Award, um, had the knee injury, the unfortunate knee injury at the end of the season, um, which was definitely a disappointment. Um, and, and look, this is a guy, he just can't stay healthy, man. You know, all the medicals, you know, in his years there, his, his two years there at Florida State, battled, uh, battled injuries, you know, ACL tear, transfers to Alabama and again, you know, ends his career with another ACL tear. So the, the major red flags when it comes to his injury. So I don't think he's going to be a day one guy. He'll fall to day two. And I don't know if he's going to be a second round pick. It really is going to come down to the medicals with all of these injuries, all these ACL tears that he's had. Um, what's going to ultimately happen there? Because look, he's 6'5", 315, excellent size and length and very physical at the point of attack. Excellent jolt in his hands. Um, at the point of attack and then once he gets onto you he's not letting go um, and you can tell that his teammates love him 
you saw that you know not only you know with the uh, after the injury, but then also you know at the the award ceremony, the Home Depot award ceremony that ESPN had, brought all of his guys there with him to accept the the Remington Award trophy. Um, I, I just I look at Landon Dickerson. He's a guy you want to pull for. You know the antics at, at LSU, the points to you know the offside. Or uh, you know the guy that got in his face and he, he falls backwards, and uh, you know definitely a personality, definitely a character, and, and a guy that you can definitely pull for, because you can tell that his team loves loves him, and so that, I think that's really going to be interesting to see what happens there. You look at Josh Myers out of Ohio State. Look, he's six four, three twelve, a three year starter, um, model of consistency there for the Buckeyes as well. Good job anchoring, generates a ton of movement in the ground game capable puller as well not the best athlete which can get him in trouble in pass protection i still think he'll be a week one starter at the next level and if i'm the rams and he's on the board in round three i'm taking him. you got two compensatory picks sitting there in round number three one of those picks should be used on Meyer, 6'4, 312 the junior out of ohio state ohio state has a pro day coming up and i know myers will show up and, and be able to, to perform there as well um after that um you know then it kind of gets a little interesting um, I, I think Greg Jackson out of Kentucky is another guy. I think he'll probably be next in line. Uh, 6'2 and three, 310 pounds. Could potentially come off the board in round four. And look, here's the guy. Here's what I like about him um, as a day three guy. You know, he's only 6'2, 310, short arms, um, smallish hands as well. Um, but I think he's really been climbing up draft boards. Some really good reps at the Senior Bowl. Able to consistently shoot those hands inside and stuff Marvin Wilson. Um, constant on that Wildcat O-line. I mean, a physical offensive line. You know, Landon Young could potentially be drafted as a you know, late pick in, you know, at offensive tackle or an undrafted free agent, a priority free agent there. But uh, Drake Jackson, 44 consecutive starts. Solid pass blocker in 2020. Only gave up three pressures on 305 pass blocks uh, snaps. Uh, none of which actually resulted in a sack or hit on the quarterback, according to Pro Football Focus. Um, showed his prowess in the running game as well, as Pro Football Focus also noted that he totaled 40 knockdown blocks and 188 blocks at the point of attack. This is a guy who I think can start at the next level. I don't care that he's only 6'2". I don't care that his arms aren't all that long. This is a guy who knows how to get the job done. And and it was you know proof there at the Senior Bowl that the guy can play with the big dogs. After that, you got Trey Hill out of, out of Georgia, 6'3", 319, the junior, three-year starter as well, came in as a freshman, has been holding down that pivot ever since. Um, another guy who's physical at the point of attack. I don't think he's the best mover of the group. Decent arm length, though, you know, 33 and 5'8 inches. Um, he'll be a guy on that day three. You know, I, I don't think he's going to be a day two guy. I think he'll probably be in that fourth to fifth round range. Uh, Michael Mennett out of Penn State, look, 6'4", 301, another veteran guy. Uh, put up 26 reps in the bench press. He'll be a, a mid to late day three guy, as will Ryan McCollum. Look, Ryan McCollum is one of the bigger guys there at the center position, 6'5", 300 pounds. Uh, showed that he can be a pretty easy mover. And I think that, you know, he was just in that, those the maroon goons. And, you know, another guy there in the middle of that defense, or uh, middle of that offensive line, could really generate a lot of movement there, um, opening up holes, some nice, you know, hip action as well. Um, really want to see what he can do at uh, the Aggie Pro Day there on the 30th. Uh, Jimmy Morrissey, look, you know, former walk-on. Uh, all he does, you know, is, is start games there for Pittsburgh. He's 6'3", 303. Um, you know, this is a guy, look, had a 31-inch vertical leap, ran that three-cone drill in 7.48 seconds. 
Um, you know, if you remember, we talked about uh, Quinn Miners running that seven three three, and Trey Trey Smith at a seven four three. You know, after that, um, you know, he falls in right behind there. So uh, Jimmy Morrissey, you know, underrated athleticism, and then Drew Dahlman at Stanford. He's six three. You know, he measured in at two eighty six, so a little undersized. Um, you know, we'll have to see what he weighs what he weighs in at. I don't think he competed at, at Sanford's Pro Day, but uh, Dahlman's a, he's an intelligent player. He's going to be physical at the point of attack. I think he'll be a guy that'll get drafted. I think those are your nine centers um, that'll end up getting drafted in uh, in 2021. And if we're looking at the nine centers, that'll equal 2020's total. Um, when we went from Caesar Ruiz in round number one down to Dustin Woodard out of Memphis with pick number 230 overall in the seventh round taken by the Patriots. So should be interesting to see how all of this plays out um, from an offensive line standpoint. But uh, I'm definitely looking forward to things. Um, I, I think, like I said, this draft, especially at the top, loaded with potential um, at that offensive line. Uh, a few guys there on the interior. Man, there's a lot to really like uh, at the offensive tackle position. I know that, that some talk about that guard position. And, yeah, there are a lot of guys to really get excited about on the interior. I mean, shoot, when you're talking about uh, AVT, Wyatt Davis, Trey Smith, uh, Quinn Miners, and uh, you know Ben Cleveland, you know, potentially Aaron Banks is a guy to watch out for as well. You know, there's some guys there. And then, obviously, at the center position, Creed Humphrey, Josh Myers, keep an eye on Landon Dickerson, if he can stay healthy, uh, Drake Jackson was a guy that was kind of uh, you know, burst onto the scene that people weren't really expecting, even though he was that model of consistency on Kentucky's line and the physicality, you know, that they brought to that running game. He was the guy that kind of, you know, the, the straw that stirred the drink there for that running game. And, uh, you know, I think people were counting him out because of his lack of overall size. He'll be a guy that I think can end up being a starter at the next level. So that's the offensive line position. We're going to go ahead and wrap things up here for the podcast for now because next podcast we'll be bringing to you in just a few days is going to be all about the defense. We're going to start with the defensive side of the football. We're going to talk edge rushers. I think that's really where we have to start, right? You know, there's some edge rushers that are going to be sitting out there. Um, obviously, uh, Quiddy Pay, Gregory Rousseau, uh, Jalen Phillips are guys that we're definitely going to be talking about. Carlos Basham, Joseph Osai. Uh, what's going to happen with Jason Owe? Now, that's another interesting one. Is he just a freak athlete, or is he a guy that's going to be productive at the next level? Look, didn't have a sack at all in 2020, but people are talking about him as a potential first-rounder because of his athleticism, because of the traits and that potential. You know, I, I, I would caution against taking him in round one. I, I feel much more comfortable with the team taking him in round two. Uh, Patrick Jones the second. You know, he struggled in practice, but he showed up when the lights were brightest there at the Senior Bowl, uh, Boogie Basham, uh, a freakish athlete as well in his own right, Joe Tryon. I mean, you, you can keep going on and on with with a lot of these guys. You know, uh, Rashad Weaver, Peyton Turner, intriguing prospects there as well. And then a guy that I think is one of the best prospects at the edge rush position is Ronnie Perkins. OU's defense completely changed when number seven ultimately got to play, missed those first few games because of, uh, because of a suspension, and suddenly something 
clicked there for the Sooners when he when he arrived. His energy and his uh, nonstop motor was infectious. It rubbed off on the team, and you saw suddenly team the entire team rallying to the ball. They play with much more excitement, much more enthusiasm, and I credit a lot of that to Ronnie Perkins, a guy who you know could be talked about in day one. You know, I think ultimately will end up being a day two pick because you know, hey, six three, two forty seven. But mark my words, Ronnie Perkins is going to be a player at the next level. I think that attitude, his, his playmaking ability, uh, you know, as long as he keeps everything clean, you know, he did have that suspension for uh, the marijuana test um, there at the Peach Bowl. But look, man, he was a you know he he owned up to it, and he's been there for his teammates um, all through it. And then obviously what he's done, what he's meant to the defense there after that. You know, OU, you can make an argument, have one of the top 10 defenses down the stretch. Um, so definitely a guy to be on the on the lookout for. We'll be talking about him and so much more. So stay tuned for episode 28. We'll talk edge rushers here in a couple of days. But until then, we've got to go ahead and sign off. I hope everyone enjoys their weekend. And for readyforthedraft.com, this has been the Ready for the Draft podcast. I've been your host, Greg Schutz. Take care, everyone, and I am out of here.